0: Geek Top 5, Quarantine Edition.
1: Yay!
2: There was time now. There was was all the time I needed.
0: Geek Top 5, welcome back. Uh, we're here for another round of, uh, well, heck, is it counts as a round, we've got another Top 5 list, and this time we've got another special guest in studio, virtual, hands-free, socially distant studio. We've got John Kyle into the studio with us. Welcome, John. Good to have you. Thank you. Very nice to be here. John is joining us from the Canadian Far East, uh, where it is
1: an hour different and the seafood is just delectable. It's also very hot here. This really? Is like, yeah, it's like the stuff that I'm happy to be no longer in Ontario for.
2: One of many reasons, I'm sure. Because, oh wait, it's like unusually hot there? Yeah, it's unusually hot. what you were getting away from? Okay. Yeah, it's been brutally hot here, but I suppose we're not here to do a top five of Canadian weather. What are we doing a top five of, John? We're doing a top five Red Dwarf episodes. Okay, so before we get to the actual list, why don't you tell us a bit about the show?
1: So Red Dwarf is a BBC... Sci-fi comedy, so a sitcom, um, that started in 1988 uh, and continued on to the BBC uh, through 1999, then took a 10-year break and emerged on a TV network, TV channel I don't really understand, called Dave. It uh, has been on Dave since 2009, sporadically. Yeah, I think like all British television
0: properties, it seems to like ebb and flow with the tide. It never really seems to end, and yet never seems to be on just seems to be something they do over on that side of the pond.
1: Yeah, like Only Fools and Horses is like that, where it's like, apparently has been running for like 40 years, sporadically. But yeah, so, so Red Dwarf is something like that. Um, had a number of short seasons very quickly, uh, in kind of like 88, 89, 90, 91, that, that sort of range. Uh, and then took a long break before, you know, series in 97, and then a series in 99, and then radio silence essentially for 10 years before coming back on Dave. And heck, I mean the most recent episode, or made-for-TV movie, or I don't even know if there's a difference
0: over there. But like the 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 latest thing of Red Dwarf to come out came out like just a couple months ago in April. So if you don't count the downtime, that's a that's a pretty strong legacy. It's just listen. The reason we're going into all this is because it just this show completely passed me
2: by same here but I remember always knowing it was on knowing it was a thing and just never quite connecting with it maybe because it was only on PBS here or something like that I just never it I, I remember seeing it on and seeing the intro and just not really sitting down and watching it properly until we got this uh, this list
1: well and I was listening to your your top five sci-fi comedy episodes and Jesse you you were talked about a, a Rob Grant novel which I actually hadn't even heard of until that uh, so you know you talked a little bit about Red Dwarf but I figured we might as well do a whole episode entirely on Red Dwarf because it's one of my favorite shows of all time uh, and I think it's worthy of, of an episode
0: uh, Certainly from what I checked out to do my research it's, uh, I, 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 I definitely missed out, put it that way So consider this a public service announcement to everyone like us who missed it the first time around
1: <laughs> it's, There's a lot of reasons this is worth watching So should we go over the premise? Does that, that make sense to start from there? Yeah, it is. So it's it's uh, set on this giant mining ship called the Red Dwarf. Uh, and it, uh, the premise is it's, it's kind of like an odd couple in space. Uh, there's the last... Uh, it, it, so it's, you know, on this mining ship, there's some sort of catastrophe that wipes out the entire crew. So the only person that's left is uh, Dave Lister, who is just he's the lowest ranking person on the ship. Uh, And was put in stasis as uh, punishment, essentially, when the the catastrophe happened. And so he wakes up. He's the only one left. He has no idea what's happened. And so the ship's computer, Holly, resurrects his bunkmate, who was the second lowest ranking technician, uh, Arnold Rimmer, to prevent him from going insane. Uh, Shortly afterwards, they also discover the uh, cat, which is the life form that evolved from Lister's cat. Three million years later, after three million years of evolution, there's now a humanoid cat on board. And it's essentially just the two of them and the cat um, throughout most of the series going on adventures as they're trying to get home
2: to Earth. They also added a, an android character at some point, and he's as integral to the show as, as anyone else at this point, isn't he? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he was introduced in season two and a one off episode, but it was in season four. No, sorry, season three that they they brought him back as a a main character. And yeah, he stayed on throughout the rest of the series. He kind of ended up replacing Holly, the ship's computer, because then he started to serve as the exposition. Okay. Uh, And so you, you start to see Holly kind of be the, you know, the amount of lines that Holly gets gets smaller and smaller until eventually Holly just disappears for a few seasons. And actually most of the series at that point. And I
0: guess it's worth noting that it's also, like, it's very British television. Like, a lot of the focus on the show, the focus is not on the adventure. Like, the focus is on these two people who absolutely can't stand each other and are incompetent at everything um, and
1: just happens to be set in space. Yeah, like, it's it's a very good uh, character-based comedy that has a sci-fi setting. And so the the thing I like about it is that they actually use the sci-fi to come up with interesting setups for the episodes but it's it's really just a character comedy
2: yeah it's it's uh, also sort of early seasons of doctor who ish in the 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 budget it seems to have where it's it's a little limited and it, it relies a lot on the performances of the the main characters to sell the kind of cheap looking sets
1: Yes, and, and I actually prefer the earlier episodes before they got money um, because the write, I just find the the premises of those particular episodes much better and the writing more enjoyable for me at least. Uh, okay. It, it's definitely a show that went through phases depending on the budget and the cast that they had or the, the crew at the time. So the first two seasons were kind of um, filmed in short succession and... Um, didn't have much budget, but had very good plots, very good, um, good writing in my, in my opinion. And then series three and then series four five, six, especially they had more money. Uh, and so we able to get off the ship more and have fancier sets, uh, and more inventive plots as well because they were off of the ship, but,
2: uh, you lose a bit of that character based comedy as a result. Hmm. And the, the whole series seems to be the brainchild of two guys, uh, Doug Grant and Rob Naylor. Is that, Did I get that right? Or did I, get it uh, wrong? I think it's, it's, it's
0: Rob Grant.
1: Grant. Rob Grant. Yeah, yeah. And, and Doug Naylor. But they, they go by the name Grant Naylor for most of their time working together.
2: Okay. And so and like,
1: I, um, there, there were Red Dwarf, Red, Red Dwarf novels released under the name Grant Naylor, and just a lot of the stuff on the show was credited to Grant Naylor as if they were one person. That's
2: pretty cool. It's And that seems sort of quintessentially British. Like, it's it's very creator-centric where they, they're they the brains behind it and if they don't want to do it or they leave, then that's it. The, the studio isn't just going to keep pushing the series.
1: Yeah, although interestingly enough, um, Rob Grant left the show uh, after a certain number of seasons because he was wanting to do other things like writing the Colony book that that Jesse mentioned and also just wanting to be known for more than just Red Dwarf. And so Doug Naylor continued on writing the show by himself. Right. So it it started off as this duo working on it together and then eventually became one person, one of the half of the duo collaborating with other people to keep the show going.
2: That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And I can respect both ways but there there is or like both attitudes to it there is something nice about having a diverse uh, bibliography or filmography or whatever but then this is such a, a staple of TV at this point it's been going for 30 years and it's like that's something impressive in its own right and and having that kind of legacy is is cool
1: yeah and I think Craig Charles uh, who played um, who plays Lister. Uh, he was kind of quoted as saying, like, he hopes they never actually write an ending for the show. It just comes to a point where they are not making it anymore, but it never actually ended. Yeah,
2: that, that makes sense. It, it I, sort of feels like it with all these huge gaps in it. You could say, well, that, that was it. That's the end. But then they come back and they keep going. And
1: Yeah, and they're not constrained by trying to wrap it all up with a nice, tidy ending. It's just if they like, have more money and have more things to,
2: to do, they'll do it. And if they don't, they don't. It also seems like it's um it's very sitcomy in that there's the the episodes are very self-contained although there is certain aspects of it that carry on like there there is a continuity to it and, and it would it feels like it would be helpful to watch it from beginning to end as opposed to just you know like Seinfeld or Friends or whatever you can watch whatever episode whenever but this show seems like it would benefit from a uh, viewing where you go from from episode 1 all the way through Episode 70, whatever they're on now.
1: Yeah, and it's because there'll be seasons where they've lost Red Dwarf and they're stuck on Starbug or the Blue Midget and they're trying to find Red Dwarf. Uh, And so, yeah, if you do watch it from beginning to end, you get a bit more of that context um, of the continuity. But at the same time, they've done tons of retconning and uh, just changing things from what they initially had done. So even if you do watch it from beginning to end, you'll still be a little bit confused when they retcon something and don't really explain <laughs> why. <laughs> I guess
0: after 30 years, there's only so much you can do to keep a strong continuity chain, right?
1: Yeah, and, and also just like, hey, we have more money now. Let's rewrite this uh, to do what we'd always wanted to do.
0: Yeah, that makes sense too.
1: All right. Well, hey, I mean, what better way to
0: you know, segue into the episodes than by talking about like, hey, these were really great episodes. Uh, John, you
1: want to start counting down on your list? Uh, I do. I, it's, I'm, so just before we get to that, so you guys had not really seen this before we talked about doing this at the, this show. Is that right? That's right. But as responsible podcast hosts, we did
0: our research. Um, we've watched everything that uh, you suggested and then a couple extras. You know, I watched the first episode just to sort of see how it laid into it and then a few others here and there. So I've got
1: a few hours of it under my belt at All this right. point. Because one of the things that I find interesting with Red Dwarf is that It premiered in Canada on YTV, really? which is where I first saw it because I was, you know, a kid essentially and watching YTV and there's this weird British sitcom about sci-fi. I like sci-fi. Let me start (laughs) watching this. And it turns out that they were censored episodes. Like they would just cut gags that were too risque for YTV. And there's like one episode that that they didn't air at all because they
2: just couldn't make the jokes work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you end up cutting it so much it's down to like 10 minutes
1: yeah and so I, I like I didn't realize that they were censored uh I also was too young to realize that this is really weird that YTV is the place that's showing it
2: <laughs> beyond uh, that it's like they're they're I was watching them and they're they're almost a full half hour episode so you'd have to cut them down anyway to get them on a standard Canadian TV format right yeah. like, at that point 22 23 episodes uh 23 minutes per episode.
1: Yeah, because later in the '90s it was on uh, Showcase, which is where I really started to to watch a lot of it. Um, but I, you're right; they are half-hour episodes, so I don't know what Showcase did to get them to fit. I mean, you know, they must have cut p-
0: some stuff down.
1: Yeah. Um, later on, when it was released on DVD, I bought all the DVDs, and so that's where I've I've Ooh. really got familiar with it from watching the DVDs. Oh, I should I should also say tonight today we're
2: only talking about the BBC series, so the first uh, eight series, I believe. Now, is that intentional, or or have you just not? Or are those? Do you consider it like two separate things? I mean, even within the BBC,
1: I consider part of it to be separate things, depending on you know the cast and crew involved. Um, Interesting. So yeah, part of it is just I haven't seen all of the Dave stuff, so I didn't. I'm not uh, ex- you know an expert enough to be able to talk about that. But yeah, it's like you got to draw a line somewhere. I'd say um, in order to even be able to do a, a top five list, so and you know not devote three months of your time to this <laughs> right okay so yeah but as, as an aficionado you think these are the ones to like if you got to make a top five list this is where you're picking them from yeah because I, I think i'd end up all my top fives would be from the bbc stuff anyway uh and even my as we'll see my top five is mostly from season two
2: okay well in order to avoid spoilers I do have a question about that, but let's uh, let's let's get into it. What's your
1: number five? Okay, so my number five is "Thanks for the memories." Sorry, "Thanks for the memory," which is from uh, season two, I believe.
2: I believe season two, episode three, according to my notes. There we go. That uh, that one's a little dark.
1: Yeah, and so one of the reasons so they. The kind of premise of this this episode is that the crew they wake up after um, having a bender. They find you know they find a a planet with a breathable atmosphere. So they get out of the ship. They have a bender. They celebrate the death of Rimmer as or the anniversary of Rimmer's death, his death day. And then they wake up and uh, Lister and the cat have a cast on. And Lister's puzzle's been solved. And they're like, what what happened? Like we we just went to sleep and it looks like time passed. And so they kind of realize that four days of their life, their lives are missing. Uh, and so they try to find out what happened, uh, only to realize that they shouldn't have found out what happened. I have to say,
2: uh, out of uh, the episodes that you, you sent us, uh, this was kind of my favorite. Nice. Okay, so it, what did you like about it, Graham? It, it's, I think it was... Well, first of all, it's very similar to a plot of a Next Generation episode, Star Trek yes. The Next Generation episode, which came later. So all credit where credit's due, this this got to it first. Um, but it was sort of, a, it was just a sweet episode. You see a side of Rimmer that you don't see in anything else. Uh, you see a sweetness between the characters, a, a true sign of their friendship. And uh, I guess it wasn't as funny necessarily as some of the others, but it was probably the most poignant out of the ones that I saw. It just, yeah. it just touched me, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I like you know, um, so one of the reasons that they decide to kind of erase their memories is that Lister implants some of his memories into Rimmer, because uh, Rimmer was complaining about never, never ever loving someone, so he gives Lister, he, Lister gives Rimmer eight months of his life when he had a, a torrid love affair with someone. Uh, And it just causes all sorts of havoc. And then Rimmer starts thinking that Lister, that the girlfriend was cheating on him with Lister at the same time because they were both in the same hotel. at The same like, you know, there's problems with implanted (laughs) memories, which is, again, like one of the things that Red Dwarf does really well of taking a sci-fi premise and kind of taking it through to the end and seeing where it goes and having a bunch of laughs along the way. And that is like they, they, they do have a
0: lot of fun like as 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 Rimmer's going through all the different ways that like of course you're having an affair, but there's also like he's beating himself up because he let this girl go, and through his reminiscing about the girl, Lister realizes he screwed up in this relationship by letting her go, and they both end up super depressed, and it's 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 the tone of the comedy is a little different from a lot of the other <laughs> episodes. Like you start to feel really
2: bad for these two characters. <laughs> I, I do find, like, the show sometimes tends to rely on kind of crude sex jokes. So this was also a nice change of pace for it, where it wasn't, like, like it was a sweeter take on relationships than, than some of the other episodes. Yeah, and uh, Rimmer especially does not have a good relationship
1: with women. No. Uh, and Which comes up in later episodes as well. He treats them a lot like objects, so this is an episode where he is kind of able to have an experience with a woman and not treat her as an object, (laughs) even
2: Even though though he never had. had
1: It's not his experience,
0: (laughs) which I see what you're saying, which is a fun sci-fi conceit. And the, but, and the way it breaks down, I think is also very uniquely red dwarf. Like I'm trying to think if they did something similar on next generation, like they'd work it all out over the table in the conference room next to the bridge very illogically but whereas in this approach like the you just have these two people self-destructing and the only way they can figure out to resolve the problem is to wipe out their own memories and ditch the black box of the shit yeah
1: because if um if you compare it to to clues the next generation episode where they had to erase their memories to save themselves from an external threat this is them realizing like the threat is internal i can't live with these memories So I've got to wipe my memories to keep on going on. The
0: difference between the the, the blue-collar workers who are portrayed in a show like this and the whatever-collar you would call a Starfleet crew, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Two very different ways of looking at how future people would handle the situation. Blue, Um, red, and gold-collar. Yeah, there you go. Um, but so yeah, I guess from of the of the episodes you recommended to us, like I get I would also put this at my number five. Like I I appreciate it for the reasons you do, Graham, but I also kind of felt bad after watching it. Like I I
1: tuned in for 30 minutes of comedy, not to it's just
2: yeah.
1: and, and one of the other reasons why this is in my top five is just that weird coincidence where you have the Star Trek episode that has a very similar plot two and a half years later.
2: Yeah, I, and I don't think, it, it definitely seems like something where it's just a coincidence, like like two different groups have a, a similar sci-fi idea, idea. I don't think there's any thievery afoot, but it is it is fun watching two different perspectives on a similar idea.
1: Yeah, and, and, and just the small coincidences, like both uh, episodes have someone breaking a limb. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're right. So it's it, I, I just find that funny and, and interesting. And there, there's a few a few things that Red Dwarf did where you'd see it show up in other types of sci-fi later. Like um, they had the talking toaster in a number of episodes, which is like this toaster that has you know an IQ of twelve thousand, uh, but all it can do is make toast. And then if if you've played Fallout New Vegas, there's a talking toaster in that game that also has this homicidal personality.
2: Amazing! Uh, now I, you're making me want to play that game. I mean, New Vegas was pretty good anyway, but <laughs> you didn't tell me there was a talking toaster in it. It's that's in one I mean. of the DLC, so that's probably why you didn't mm. bring it up. <laughs> good, good save,
1: good save. <laughs> okay. okay, fair enough. What's the what's number four? Okay, number four is from the same season. This is season two, episode six, parallel universe. Okay, this one. I mean, here, start lay it out for us, but I, I have questions. <laughs> Okay, so this this one, I mean, part of the appeal of this is if you've seen previous episodes because it's kind of referring to things that happened earlier. But uh, in this episode, Holly, the ship's computer, with an IQ of 6,000, invents a new, essentially a warp drive that he calls the Holly hop drive that's supposed to warp them right back to Earth in seconds. But instead, it takes them to a parallel dimension where it's a gender-swapped universe, a gender-swapped dimension. Right. So it was Star Trek did
0: the mirror universe. They had good and evil. Red Dwarf yeah. does it. They have men and women or women
1: and men. Yeah. Or, and, and, you know, there's also the TNG episode where they go to the matriarchy planet. Oh, boy. And Not, so, oh, Angel One. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, that's a very different way of, of exploring gender differences. But yeah. Red Dwarf had its own version of it. So they, uh, in that show, they the crew encounter female
2: versions of themselves. The, the whole time, I mean, maybe I need to watch it again because the whole time I was just waiting for it to get agonizingly bad like by by modern standards and it never, I, at least by my perspective it never quite got there where it was like painfully awkward but it was still on dicey ground like the gender politics in 1990 versus now are a lot different. Yeah, and and, and this was actually like 88, so it was even two years right. worse, but it, 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 um,
1: it has a... F- it, You know, parts of it holds up in that, like Rimmer, who does not treat women as equal, or does um, his female version of him does the same to him, and he starts complaining about how she only she wants me for one thing, right? (laughs) Right, but but then it's like the Listers, like you know, they get that
0: blackout drunk and sleep with each other, and then the the big gotcha at the end is like, oh, now male Lister is pregnant,
1: yeah, and. So there's another great thing that this episode does is it explores that idea of, like, what would it be like to date yourself? Would that be wonderful or horrible? Probably horrible. But yeah, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it, it
0: seems like it's mostly bad for all of them. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of what I get. Like, this was really funny, and I appreciated the turnaround to that. Like, Lister sort of realizes that, that they're a loser, like, by seeing the other Lister, but also at the same time, because they're losers, they don't mind. But especially the stuff with Rimmer, I was sitting there going, like, is this problematic? Is this okay? <laughs> I, I, was, I was almost, like, nervous about it. Because, the, the like, I mean, they only have 30 minutes. I, I, I understand why it's not going to be subtle. But they make their point very head-on with, you know, sexually abusive girl Rimmer. Right.
1: And it, it does go on for a while. In that 30-minute yeah. episode. Yeah
0: which again is, I think, I feel like it's a British thing where part of the comedy is that it's awkward and bad and it doesn't stop. <laughs> it just keeps going. Like the Ricky Gervais office is like that. Right. Where it's this, where like you're sitting on the couch just
1: cringing because the like, that situation just doesn't end. I, I do really like the ending of this though, where it's revealed that, uh, that Lister gets pregnant because uh, in an earlier episode, uh, Future Echoes, they see visions of themselves in the future, and Lister ends up with a Polaroid of him holding twin twin babies. And so he's like, "I'm the last, you know, I'm the last human alive. How how do I get pregnant? I don't know, but I'm gonna have fun finding out." <laughs> and so this is that reveal a season later, to show, oh, you actually got pregnant by having
2: sex with yourself in this mirror universe where you get pregnant. So I, my question, as soon as it ended, was because like, they they reference that this. Is paying off something from an earlier episode. They they explain that whole picture thing. How, does that pay off? Do they do? Does he actually get pregnant? Uh, well, as we'll
1: discuss in my next uh, choice, it's resolved in a cutscene. Uh, or sorry, not even a, like a title crawl at the start of an episode. Of the oh, next okay. Episode. <laughs> so this was the last episode of season two. If you you know if, if you're to watch season three episode one there's a title crawl like you have at the start of a star Wars movie, but sped up. So it's so fast. You can't even read it. But if you were to pause and read it, it explains that um, the, I forget what happened to the kids, but essentially they, they go back in the other dimension. I think <laughs> solving the problem for nobody, but
0: getting them
2: off of the show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So getting them uh, get, dealing with it without actually having to deal with showing uh list giving birth,
1: yeah, so it's it's a cutscene that, or sorry, uh, um, a cliffhanger that in the next episode is resolved in a split second and not really explained to the audience unless they had a VCR at the time. <laughs> that's that's bold, no. even for that era. Yeah. So is that your number three? So yeah, my number three is backwards, which is the first episode of season three, and actually this this one like it could be in my number one just in terms of how much I remember it and how much I love it, but I. <laughs> Uh, for other reasons, I like other episodes. I think or I think at least are better episodes. So, this episode, the crew gets they um, discover a planet. Uh, I forget exactly how they get there, but they essentially get to they find. Oh yeah, they go they fall through a time hole, and they end up at Earth in essentially the present day or um, 1993 or whatever it is. But this version of Earth, time works backwards.
0: Yeah, I think it was explained by, like, it was actually so far in the future that the universe had started to collapse instead of expanding, and so time was rolling
1: backwards. You're right. So there was, was a bit of that yeah, techno babble like, to explain why they happened to be on this planet
2: that is backwards. I, kind it's of an interesting <laughs> way to do it. I like that, that explanation for why time was running backwards.
1: Yeah, and, and, and another thing that the show is good at is, like, they do come up with good explanations for things yeah even i mean even they don't make sense but at least yeah. they've
2: got an explanation it doesn't like as far as the the accuracy or like scientificness of it it really goes out the window as soon as they end up on the planet and and i, I can't even explain some of the jokes but it's all about time running backwards and the people well, being think- aware that it runs backwards kind of well, I mean, the most consistent one is, like, people at the bar,
0: they order a drink and get an empty mug and put it up to their mouths and fill it with beer. Right. And then go, and then go ah. <laughs> Except then you're like, well, wait, shouldn't they have said ah first? Like, it's like it's it's a very difficult thing for them to pull off. And there's definitely a couple instances in the show where they don't, like, they miss the tick. You're like, wait a minute, that's not how it would work. But it's also, like, it's played entirely for laughs, so you don't mind.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I you think... don't care about it how accurate it is because it's funny. Yeah, I think they it's... go for, like, whatever is funnier, they, they are willing to sacrifice the sci-fi for the comedy. Which I'm totally okay with, given the setting of the show. And, like,
0: yeah, a part of me was sitting there going, like, wait, that's not how that, that wouldn't work. But it was just, I mean, the, the oh God, I mean, stop me, John, if I'm, I'm taking your steam. But, like, the final, like, the climax of this concept is the bar fight. Where they've been in this bar that's absolutely destroyed, and then get to the point where they realize, like, they, they'll get to the where the bar is absolutely destroyed, and they have some character moments, and then they get threatened to get thrown out because of the fight, and then the fight happens like in reverse. And Lister's line is something like, "It's not a bar brawl; it's a bar tidy up." Yeah, which is
1: <laughs> one of my favorite jokes, like ever. I, I, yeah, it's a bar room tidy. And so you watch all the furniture come back together. You watch his like black eye get sucked off his face when he gets punched in reverse.
0: <laughs> and they do a like, they do a great job of it. Like all the, the the actual like physical comedy, you need to do that too. Like in that
1: scene in particular, the, it really
0: stands out.
1: And I think that's one of the reasons why I like this episode so much because you can tell like everyone must have had so much fun making it of filming all this stuff in reverse. Practicing talking backwards so that things come out properly. Uh, It just would have been fun for everyone. Like I would have had a a real, I would have had a blast making this show if I were involved with it.
2: Yeah, there's one moment that really stuck out for me where they're they're in a restaurant and it's it's an early scene and the woman. There's a woman in the the restaurant who sort of uneats a sandwich and they just they leave the camera there as the food comes out of her mouth and reforms the sandwich because they're just like rewinding this video of her eating a sandwich. But it's really well done. And and you're just sort of mesmerized as all this food comes back.
1: Yeah. And that's what have been done on tape. Like I don't think they had they wouldn't have been digital editing. It would have been sort of practical tape effects. Pretty, pretty cool.
0: They, and they some some it. of it is definitely actual physical comedy, though. It's, it's yeah. not like they didn't just film it and reverse it. There's, at, at sometimes to its detriment, almost like, well, to the detriment of the, the conceit, like in terms of watching it, it's hilarious. But there's definitely parts where you know,
1: people will try to, like, throw their faces into somebody's fist. <laughs> and uh, it, this the other thing that sells this episode is the very last joke.
2: Wow! Yeah,
1: <laughs> which I mean, if you're like, if you're a kid watching this, especially, it's very funny. So you, the yeah. way the episode ends is, you know, they've they've decided to leave the planet. They've solved whatever problems they have. They're about to get back into their ship, and the you know, where's where's the cat? Oh, he's just gone off into the bushes to do his business, is what's implied. Uh, they don't actually say it, but then you just see him just like shoot up with this horrified look on his face. <laughs> Because it's going backwards, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's it's a show that it'll take a premise and just play it out and take it to a You know, whatever end is going to be funny. I I mean we
2: we haven't really talked about the the characters that much, especially not Cat, who I think is one of the more interesting characters on the show. And and he's almost always, at least in the episodes that we watched, he's almost always a side character. But he's very funny. Like, the performance is really good. And he's he's committed. They're all very committed to their roles. And they do it very well. And he is a real standout, I think. At I, least he- I, I agree. I, I love Cat.
1: Danny Don, John Jewell, who who plays him, is just hilarious. Like, he's he was a dancer before he was on Red Dwarf. And just has a lot of physicality to his movements. And he just plays a cat as if it were a human. He's very vain. He's lazy. He gets attracted to shiny things.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's, he's very committed. And and I have to say, one of the things I didn't like about the uh, Parallel Universe episode, where everyone meets their, their opposite from the other dimension, is that his opposite was a dog. But it's this guy doing this terrible American accent. And and it was just... It was hard to watch. I, I wanted to see a different cat, you know? Yeah, but it, it does... it. There's that good joke there of setting up his
1: expectations to right. you know, everyone else finds a a, a woman because they've been alone in space for so long, and he's expecting to see a, a, a female cat, and he gets a dog.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah, the dog character was a little rough, but again,
2: those are a one like one-off a episode little,
0: characters. I'm not gonna a little gonna rough. Yeah, was yeah. He
2: bark worse than his bite. Really? Yeah. I mean, this—that's the quality of the jokes of the show. Sometimes, so work with me here. Whoa!
1: <laughs> this. Whoa <there. laughs> uh, this episode, I'm also reminded, has a bit of a, a cameo from Spitting Image, which is one of the the shows that the creators um, used to work on. Oh, okay. Um, so when when uh, someone shows up, or sorry, when the um, they wear the Ronald Reagan mask, and that's like the
2: caricature of Ronald Reagan from Spitting Image. Uh, okay, so explain Spitting Image for us, because I think I'm vaguely aware of it, but I think it's one of those shows that sort of lost to time, especially on this side of the planet.
1: Yeah, I'm not that familiar with it. It, it was uh, a sort of a British political satire, is my understanding, but it would have people in these really kind of it was these kind of like puppets that were and they're kind just, of gr-
2: grotesque caricatures. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, there was a there's a Peter Gabriel video that used the same kind of uh, puppets. Uh, And my understanding is Spitting Image is like coming back or just came back. So it's it's another one of those British shows that's been revived decades later. But uh, yeah, I think Grant uh, Naylor were involved with Spitting Image before they did Red Dwarf. Uh, They also did um, a radio drama series. Or not a radio, like a radio uh, comedy sketch series, um, which is where uh, kind of Red Dwarf came out of one of the sketches on that show. Okay.
2: Interesting so well yeah okay so let's keep keep going here what's uh what's number two so number two is uh the latest one uh at
1: least in my top five uh it is back to reality which is uh the last episode of season five so 1992 at this point yeah, it's pretty far out
0: from the rest of them. Is it? Uh, is this just a case of that you really appreciated like what they were doing with the sci-fi conceit? Or
1: yeah, I really like yeah the the setup of it and uh, the characters go through some really fun turns in it as well. So the premise of this one is uh, for whatever reason, Starbug is exploring some ocean planet, uh, looking at a shipwreck, um, and it turns out that there's uh, it's a, oh so the ship that was there had been experimenting with evolution and had done like 3 million years of evolution in 3 years. Uh, and so there's this super evolved squid on this planet, the despair squid, that it shoots ink that has causes everyone to have these psychotic visions. And so they have a group hallucination where they wake up from this video game that they've been playing for 4 years where they were playing the characters from Red Dwarf. So it's like waking up from the Matrix or um, there's that Rick and Morty episode where they uh you know someone has it lives a whole life in a video game so these characters really yeah
0: roy,
1: are up, yeah. Yeah, roy they're, so they're waking up from spending four years in a video game to find out that they're not rimmer and they're not lister and they're not the cat and they're Crichton. they're just regular people and they don't like that yeah cat especially <laughs> <laughs> and that, that that so cat uh is not cat he's Dwayne dibley who cat is normally like really cool and wears the really cool clothes and it's just like super cool. And Dwayne Dibley is like the nerdiest guy with this horrible bowl cut haircut and just comically large teeth. Uh, and so Dwayne Dibley is kind of a, he's a bit of a fan favorite. He comes back later and later episodes as well, because he's just so funny. <laughs> That's excellent.
0: But yeah, in this one, so they think that the whole show has been this VR game And they're sitting there trying to figure out what they're like, who they really are, because they're waiting for the. I think it's like they're waiting for their real memories to come back, and they're looking through their belongings
2: and figuring out who they were. Yeah, I feel like it's a it's a premise that you see in a lot of sci-fi and fantasy shows. The idea of like, oh, everything you know was just a dream, and this is the real world. But they do it in a very fun way, and they don't leave you on the hook too long. Like they they. It's not long before you find out the the twist of it where, you know, everyone was, was, it was just the despair squid
1: messing with them. And you've got a good scene, too, there where they're cutting back and forth between reality and their hallucination. And so you see them pretending to be in a car chase, but they're just like bumping up and down on top of these boxes. Yeah, that was British as hell. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And, and this premise gets used in uh, a later episode, actually one of the Dave episodes, uh, where they, it's actually like a sister of the despair squid, is like a joy squid. Uh, and it causes them to have a hallucination that they're on Earth and realize that they've been in a TV show the whole time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, that's meta. And so they actually end up going to the set of Coronation Street, because Craig Charles also starred in <laughs> Coronation Street. <laughs> Craig Charles, who plays Lister, our our main character. Yes. So it's uh, like, that's a really, it's a very meta episode and and very fun, um, out of scope for what we're talking about today. But uh, this this same premise was good enough that they came back to it later in a different form.
0: Right. So in terms of why it hits the list, like, is it the performances?
1: Is it the sci-fi thing itself? What is it that really... uh...
0: It's really grabbing you.
1: It's it's everything together. So you've got a, a premise that they do a lot of fun things with and and explore it, and then you've got Dwayne Dibley who was just hilarious uh, to see, uh, and yeah, just some some good jokes and fun scenes and just all. I I think for me that the premise really sells it, but everything else is done well.
2: Yeah, I almost wish they they had done less with the setup so that we could get to the the fantasy bit a little faster or at least get to the reality bit a little faster and spend more time with that version of the characters but it was still really good and uh, one of the things I noticed watching it was that the guy who disconnects them from the the machine and wakes them up is played by Timothy Spall who's kind of a big name in like British TV and movies now and he probably wasn't at the time but it was sort of weird seeing him in this really tiny role on a a sci-fi sitcom and he does such a good job in that role
1: yeah, he's, he's just really committed to this, like insulting. So, what part of the joke of the, this episode is that the characters only get four percent of their score? Like, they just did a horrible job of playing themselves. Of playing Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah. And so he's just insulting them the whole time about like, what you were playing Rimmer as a get the whole time. Like, Rimmer had this secret backstory as a secret agent, uh, <laughs> and he's just he's so funny insulting them. Uh, listeners... You found the planet of the nymphomaniacs, right? <laughs> Some people spend years there. Yeah. <laughs> and listeners might recognize him. He played uh, Peter Pettigrew in the Harry Potter movies. So that's maybe for Americans or for North Americans the place they might have recognized him from.
2: Yeah, especially North American geeks.
1: Yeah, and he's he's done a lot of other stuff. So he's uh, at least in Britain he'd be, he'd be quite famous. But here, yeah, he's Peter Pettigrew.
2: Yeah, yeah. So what's what's number one? Okay.
1: So my my favorite is Queeg, which is uh, fr- another one from season two. It's the fifth episode. So
2: what um, is it about this episode that that makes it number one? It's,
1: I think it's, it, it's really the the payoff to the the joke that they spend the whole episode oh, setting up. Oh, okay.
2: Okay. Go Red, for it. Give us a Red,
1: Red Dwarf does this with a lot of episodes where they'll set something up and then. Uh, you know, set a whole bunch of things up just to have like one joke at the end, twisting it around. I okay. uh, kind of like to have episodes of Arrested Development to do the same thing. So in this one, uh, Holly, who's the ship's computer, who we haven't talked about very much, um, the, he, Holly is is like this super intelligent computer. I uh, keeps talking about having an IQ of six thousand, but he was alone for three million years. Well, Lister was in stasis while they waited for the the radioactivity on the ship to fade to. Levels that are safe for humans. So he was alone for a long time and developed a bit of computer senility, is what they call it. <laughs> and so he's he's played by um, this very laconic British stand-up comedian in the first few seasons. Later played by um, by I guess replaced by a, a woman. They do the gender swap after the parallel universe. But uh, Norman Lovett is is Holly in this this particular episode. Um, and so his, commu- his uh, computer senility is really starting to show and he puts the the crew into danger enough that a backup computer shows up and takes over the ship and the backup, com- uh, you know, he takes over the ship because Holly's put everyone into danger. And so the backup computer uh, is definitely... Um, it's a drill instructor, right? Yeah he's yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. He, and so he's he's definitely more with it, but he actually makes the crew work. He doesn't, you know intentionally hit the snooze button for three hours for them like the arrangement that holly had uh and so the crew are getting frustrated with him and holly it turns out has been made a night watchman and they convince holly to try to take the ship back so he challenges quig to a game of chess no sorry he challenges uh quig to a challenge and whoever wins gets to control the ship and the loser gets erased uh, and there's a very, very funny joke of, of, like, so what, what do you want the challenge to be? And Quig says chess, and and Holly goes through all these other things. Well, what about, what about snakes and ladders or
2: and no, chess? anything
1: you want, anything you can think of, <laughs> which is a, kind of a common joke that they do with Holly, but it's, it, it works really well there. Uh, and so Holly loses because he's not at the level of Quig 500, uh, and so he gets to, he's going to be erased, and they have a, a good send off for him, and it's a bit sad and then it turns out that Holly was actually pulling a prank the whole time. He was Queeg all the all along, and it was just a way for him to tell the crew, like, hey, I'm not so bad.
2: Yeah, it was a way to make them realize how good they have it with him.
1: But the the show does a really good job of selling Queeg as real and making you believe it, only to find out in the last 30 seconds that, oh, this is April, May, June, July and August cool. <laughs>
0: yeah. Which is is that I think mean, that is an expensive bet I'll tell you like I still don't know how I feel about that <laughs> what do you mean like like the reveal is hilarious like oh my god he staged the whole thing but then it's just like like it, it 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 just rips the carpet up from under you and then that's
1: the end of the episode and then you're kind of like what the
0: hell was that then
1: <laughs> yeah there's not there's not a lot of denouement after that to really like get a lot out of the joke but i think the joke just is so good that it it works
2: all right okay it well obviously like i I really like that other episode so it wouldn't be number one for me but you're you're changing my mind on it a little bit i think i think I, i didn't fully appreciate the scope of that joke on first viewing I mean like there's a lot of like there's a lot of comedy
0: in between. like Holly is the night watchman like where they like, they put the it's basically a CRT TV with his face on it right that's all we've ever seen of yeah, him on so wheels. they put that yeah now they put that on wheels and the, the, the image of his face now he has like a little scarf and hat and a, he's got a flashlight just yeah. walking the corridors of this ship for for like and nobody's on this ship so like we all, we we already like like it like that's done very well it's done it's very funny um but I don't know. In, in a way, I feel like my interpretation of it was it was almost like it was a cop-out. Like, I felt like it was like they didn't know, like, what do you do with the story now? But, I mean, I mean, you're obviously right. Like, the story was always that it was just a prank. But I don't know. I felt kind of bait and switched.
1: Swatched? Bait, baited and whatever the past tense of that is. I think that's fair. But I, I think the reason that I like it is because they did such a good job of tricking me. And... I, I gotta hand it to them. Like, they, they tricked me when the first time I watched that, and I really appreciate that they were able to do that.
2: I think my favorite joke in the episode is they, they, he makes, so Queeg makes Rimmer run around the, the ship as an exercise thing, but Rimmer is so out of shape, even though he's a hologram, he passes out, like, he faints while he's running, but because he's a hologram, it they, they just makes him keep running, and the actor really sells that he's passed out and yet still jogging. It's, it's, a really good bit of physical comedy I thought
1: yeah and that's on a show that has a lot of good physical comedy
2: yeah and I think he that guy in particular it does a good job with some of those jokes like he he nails it but he's the character is so annoying and pretentious and, and aggravating that I don't sometimes I found myself being annoyed to the point where I didn't appreciate what the actor was doing to make me that annoyed like he, he really did a good job of it
1: yeah, I'd agree with you that like he's he sells Rimmer so hard that it's it's hard to like his character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: And that's and, and that's the thing
0: when it's so character focused, right? Like looking back over these episodes, the actual like story, uh, I, I, I feel like they like from the, all the actual plot points get hit in a pretty small amount of time. What takes up most of the time on the show is Lister and Rimmer arguing <laughs> and having increasingly hilarious takedowns of each other. With Rimmer getting more and more uptight and Lister getting more and more laid back in each other's face. So, like, that's like it. They have to sell it, right? They're the focus of the show in a way that, I mean, we keep comparing it to Next Generation, I guess, because it's also a spaceship show and it was on at the same time. But, like, Next Generation didn't have a lot of character work at all. No. So, it's a very different kind of approach.
1: Yeah, some of my other favorite episodes that didn't make the, the list, there's uh, Marooned, which is a bottle episode where it's just the two of them stuck on a ship together with no other characters. And they're just going at each other uh, and revealing things about their history. And it's 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 really good character work.
2: OK, Fair. so, yeah, it's a good list. And, and I, one of the things I found watching it was was because of all the character stuff at. Uh, I think after the first episode I watched, I was like, well, this is, this is okay. But the more I watched of it, the more I enjoyed the characters and the more I was like, I could see myself just putting this on and being comforted by the familiarity of the characters involved. I could just have it on in the background and, and enjoy the banter. And, and there was something nice about that.
0: And I guess that's a good thing that we should highlight. Like, by the way, like where, like, I mean, let's put, like, we can put it right out there. Graham and I watched the show well, by googling it. Is there like, if we're here in Canada, where
1: can we find this show? Like, you mentioned you bought all the DVDs, but is it on any streaming services or anything? Yeah, of? it's it's on BritBox. So if you have a subscription to BritBox, which is um, it's it's almost like Netflix but for the BBC, uh, where it's just you can um have access to a whole bunch of British shows comedies dramas uh qi one of graham's favorites is on there oh yeah so good and so i'm i'm lucky that my mom is a big qi fan so she subscribes to Britbox, so i was able to watch it that way i don't live in my mom's basement by the way (laughs) (laughs) right you borrowed her account quick save (laughs)
0: All right, fair enough. So BritBox, if you can find it, and if you can't, uh, typing it into a search bar, uh, you'll get a lot of results. I guess just because it's probably so hard to sell, it's probably hard to enforce any copyright over here. Uh, not that we're
1: advocating that sort of thing, but if you just happen to stumble across it, easy way to find it. And and I can't really recommend the BritBox experience very well because it's, it's pillar-boxed and letter-boxed. Oof. Why? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just like... Oh okay, I guess I'm watching on an iPad mini <laughs> <laughs> good,
0: good heavens I know there's 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 problems with aspect ratio going back and forth across the Atlantic, but that is not the right way to solve it.
1: no, but it you know it's there it was uh, and they've got I think all, all of it on there, like even the Dave stuff.
2: It looks it like it's most of the Dave available stuff on on iTunes or Apple TV or whatever they're calling it this week
1: yeah, yeah, so you can
2: you can buy the stuff there as well
1: okay, groovy. Uh, what? Do we want to talk about the US version of it Since we're yeah, talking yeah, about going yeah. across the Atlantic
0: Oh is this like The Office There's an American
1: like remake of it Yeah <laughs> Yeah it's uh, So they did two pilots Of an American version of it uh, For NBC That never saw the light of day It's a bit like the first Fantastic Four movie That like if you go to You, you can find it if you really want to But it's not worth finding
2: Oof. Well, we have. And to I'm, talk- I'm talking about the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie, right? Right. <laughs> there's a whole. There's a whole documentary about the making of that movie that is probably better than the actual movie. I can
1: believe it. So, so- this this was done uh, with an American cast mostly, and actually a lot of the cast are you will go you know would go on to be another series like like. Um, They had two cats. The first cat was played by Hinton Battle, who's a kind of a Broadway, Tony-winning star, um, great dancer, way over... uh, Just, like, too good for the show, really. Uh, He was in the first pilot. The second pilot was uh, Jadzia Dax. So Terry Farrell played the cat.
0: Huh. That would have been a weird spin on it. Actually, probably
1: pretty appropriate for an American version, actually. And Holly Hmm. was played by Jane Leaves, who went on to be Daphne in Fraser. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, went on to be. When was this filmed? When was this? I th- I'm thinking like 92-ish. Uh, I'd have to look it up specifically. But, uh, yeah, early 90s.
0: Okay. Well, I have to admit I'm curious. I, I think for you know, recommending for all the folks who are just hearing about this for the first time, definitely stick to the English one. But I think, you know, A Night with a Bottle of Wine is probably worth checking this out because i got to see what the what the Yanks did with it.
1: Yeah, because it's... It's interesting to see just like how, why did you think this was a good idea? Like, so they kept Crichton, uh,
2: that Robert Llewellyn, uh, is Crichton in the show. Like, of all the guys to bring over to be in this American version, why Crichton? I do
1: wonder if he was one of the only people who had nothing else going on.
2: (laughs) Wow. Wow.
1: You know, know, because, um, um, Chris Barry, who who played Rimmer, he was also starring in the British Empire, which is another BBC sitcom that I haven't seen, but it's apparently quite good. And like, so the other actors had other shows that they were also in. Who right. I don't know that Robert Llewellyn did. So it may be just like he was available and
2: they probably paid him a lot of money. So why not? I I also think it's. Guy-centric show. the The main cast is all guys for the most part, although it looks like a woman joins for a few seasons in the British version. But making Cat a woman, while a little on the nose, does inject a bit more diversity to the the gender of the the cast, which yeah, it ch- changes the
0: dynamic that way too. Though, like there, there definitely is like you know a, just dumb men locked in a box in space. Like, that's part of the aesthetic for the show. Like, that's part of the...
1: Yeah, you've got four very lonely men yeah. <laughs> who are trying to find someone else. <laughs> oh, you vey. And, and, and the American pilot, it was it was written by Linwood Boomer, who went on to do Malcolm in the Middle. So it's like, they actually had fairly good people involved with it, but they made Lister, who is this slobby guy, they hired this, like, tall, handsome man to portray him. And, and, and he... It
2: just- was the same in both pilots. It was the the same yeah, guy. Yeah,
1: they doubled down on him, and it's like, it, it's just not the same when you have slobs turned into handsome Hollywood actors.
2: Well, that's that's whenever these shows get Americanized, that tends to happen. Everyone gets a lot more attractive. Yeah. So this this
1: series, they like they did the pilot and they didn't like it. So then they did the second weird pilot where it's uh, like picking the best bits from the British show like just particular scenes. so like the second pilot doesn't even have a plot it's just more sh- more scenes mm-hmm. uh, but fortunately it didn't go anywhere and everyone went back to do the, the British version and we got many more seasons of it. Cool alright well that's a,
0: as good a PSA as any um, maybe on the fence again about the American one but definitely worth the English one. John thank you so much for joining us always a pleasure to hear
1: from you I'm glad to be here. It's good to hear your voices again.
0: And while we're giving out thanks, also extra thanks uh, to Jamie Rium, our music geek in chief. Uh, be sure to check him out. Uh, Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. Uh, He's Jamie Reum official on YouTube and uh, Jamie underscore Reum on Instagram. And be sure to check out his project Trivia Schmivia dot com for online Zoom equivalent of good old fashioned pub nights back when there were back when there were trivias and pubs and places you could go outside your house. And there was uh, that between day and night yeah yeah there's yeah there's a calendar and all kinds of fun things back in the before times and finally special thanks to you thanks for joining us again for geek top five uh did we underestimate you are you a huge red dwarf fan are there other episodes that definitely should have been on the list or are you just someone who's grateful to hear about you know, more british comedy uh we'd love to hear from you and there's all kinds of ways that you can get your complaints
2: concerns and criticisms to us Our ideal location would be geektop5 at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5, and we can be reached on Twitter at geektop5. We'll take a look at what you send, uh, but
0: until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.